Live from WNUR News, I'm Zach McCrary. You're listening to the 6 o'clock news on WNUR 89.3 FM HD1, Evanston, Chicago. It's Wednesday, October 13, 2021. Tonight on WNUR News, the Powerlifting Club opens exercise to all of campus. A look into Lovers and Mad Men's production of Much Ado About Nothing. A deep dive into the identity and mysteries of Himbos. Those stories and more coming up tonight on WNUR News. Thanks for tuning in to WNUR News. In campus and local tonight, many Northwestern clubs require interviews, applications, or tryouts to become a member. But one athletic club is, is bucking this trend. Reporter Jong and Kim talks to the club about how they're making getting swole an inclusive activity for everyone. Western students are busy signing up for clubs, often going through the tedious process of interviews. Sometimes a break at the gym may be a necessity. Paul Kim, a sophomore and member of the club, says the powerlifting club allows these students to participate in clubs and exercise simultaneously. Um, so the powerlifting club is a club where basically a lot of people who like to lift and get strong and get big, they just come and do a lot of lifting together. Despite the quite intimidating name, Paul says the club embraces and welcomes all levels of experience. There's people like beginners like me, and there's more intermediate and advanced lifters as well. The student-run organization does not include any experts in this field, hence does not require any expertise either. And so it's more like trying to share your own experiences and see if it fits with you. It's not, they're not like certified or anything like that. But the advanced members definitely are trained well enough to guide the new ones. According to Paul, they email weekly workouts to help keep track. For beginners, we do like a weekly form check where the advanced lifters, they teach us like how to do like the big three lifts, like bench, squat, deadlift. The powerlifting club school is also very straightforward. They are not so different from other athletic clubs. We had this first meeting where the execs are presented and their goal is like, let's get big, let's get strong, let's do lifts. I think that's about it. It's very simple and I liked it. Paul adds that the intermediate and advanced members ensure that they are accomplishing and improving through repeated check-ins not only on the new members, but also on themselves. Um, for intermediate members, they're going to check their max weights for the main three lifts. Um, that's probably going to happen on like a monthly basis. As the members advance in experience and strength, the more competitive they can get, further opening up different opportunities. Um, they're planning to like go to powerlifting competitions as well and like represent NU. They're planning on like bringing speakers that are like related to powerlifting as well. What differentiates powerlifting from other athletic clubs is the backstory. It may be shocking news that powerlifting is in fact new, but also not completely. Like there was something like this powerlifting club a few years back. But um, I think it wasn't like official or anything or like a lot of people didn't really join. So it kind of died off. The student who founded the powerlifting club this year may or may not be the first. Even he writes in the Reddit post that there is a lack of information to tell whether the club actually existed. Some refer to it as a revival. He's a junior called Saidiaka. Tried to revive it and now we're here. And I think we're trying to make it an official organization by like November, something like that, yeah. 
While the main goal may be to exercise and just power lift, there is more to the beginning of the club. It is a community built of students sharing a single interest. You go to SPAC and there's like a lot of lifters, a lot of people working on. You go to Blom, you go to Patton. There is just like a lot of people who love lifting. And there wasn't really like a club that's dedicated to those kind of areas. Paul says that these students all love to powerlift, but have unique individual goals. Whether that be gaining muscle, working out, or getting rid of an unhealthy habit. Especially for me, because like I have like really bad posture. I'm hoping that through this and like trying to like get the workouts done, I can kind of fix my posture and fix the weak muscle areas. Like Paul, anyone can set a personal goal for themselves and really experience the motivation while powerlifting. In Korea, when there was like a like lifting boom, there was this saying called "samde yeah, ube," which basically stands for like the big three lifts. You combine them, and the weights add up to 500 kilos. Maybe if I could get somewhere there, by the time I graduate, I'll be happy. There are no particular requirements for this club that merely hopes to encourage people to powerlift and stay fit. There aren't any interviews or formal procedures for acceptance. I just signed up through a form on Reddit. I don't think there's like any like limitations to anyone. Like even a beginner like me could join. There are also a lot of advanced lifters, and so I think it's open for anyone who just has a passion. If you like to exercise regularly, powerlifting may be a club to check out. Signing off. This is Jung and Jennifer Kim from WNUR News. One Northwestern theater troupe is performing their own version of a classic Shakespeare play. Arts and entertainment reporter Maria Camaño has the story. With the return of in-person classes this fall, the Northwestern 2021-2022 theater season is finally back. And after multiple virtual productions due to COVID, it seems like theater could just be back to normal. With this new season comes a multitude of theater productions. One of these is an adaptation of the Shakespeare play Much Ado About Nothing, with this particular version being set in Miami. Reporter Sarah Cadura talked to third years Gabriela Furtado Cuccino, the director, and Mark Berry, the producer of the show, to learn more about how this student production brings a unique take on a classic. When asked what the play was about, Furtado Cuccino had this to say. I would say that this production is a reimagining of Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing to highlight the explosions of joy in it, but translate it to the languages of the collaborators that we have. So being said in Miami, Florida, I feel like people are really encouraged um, to bring in the fullness of themselves, the kind of music that they enjoy, the languages that they speak. Um, something I really value about Miami culture, and it's where I grew up, is that it's very much a salad bowl culture and there's a lot of cultural appreciation and um, really wanting to just go for joy, which is something that I think that we could all use right now after like a collective traumatic experience. And in the play Much Ado, they also go through a collective traumatic experience. So I was interested in seeing, you know, how could Shakespeare's text connect to our time and somehow amplify or um, flip inside out the struggles that we are having on a day-to-day -day basis and to help us in having a party. This story follows two main, two primary couples, uh, Hero and Claudio and uh, Beatrice and Benedict. Um, Hero and Claudio very early on in the show decide they're going to get married. Beatrice and Benedict are a little more of an enemies to lovers story, uh, or rather 
supposed enemies to lovers. They don't want to admit their attraction to each other. Yeah, that reminds me that, you know, deception plays such a big role in the play. And this idea of much ado about nothing, like there are a lot of anxieties in the play that come up and people who just really like are struggling to communicate with each other. Um, and that kind of reminds me of, you know, how we are now, like we're coming back to an in-person world. We're trying to figure out, you know, how do we relate to one another? How do we communicate? Um, how can we start to like rekindle our friendships and lovey love things? <laughs> Barry explained that there was also a reimagination of Hero and Claudio's storyline in this adaptation. We've reimagined that into her kind of reclaiming her power. Um, and using that as an opportunity to grow and find her own footing in a world of Shakespeare where women don't really have footing. To those who might be skeptical to go to a Shakespearean play, Furtado Cuccino and Barry say this. Um, I feel like we took this particular text and just made it into what we needed at this moment. Um, and I think that's a really special thing. It's a text that's um, unfortunately, you know, for, you know, colonizer reasons so revered. Um, but that doesn't mean that we can't then insert ourselves and say that we have just as much, if not more, worth than the dead white men who originally embodied the work. And I would say with this particular production, you know, it's a very fun one. So if I, I'd say like if you're intimidated by Shakespeare, this is a great one to see because you'll see a pool on stage, you'll see a disco ball, you'll get lit, audience members can dance in the production. Um, I hope that it'll really feel like a party and not so much, you know, um, an English class. <laughs> I think it's important when we have an opportunity to put on a communal experience that is theater, that we can actually interrogate what is our community need right now. And I think that we did ask those questions. So we hope that, you know, people will be able to find something there that will just kind of give them a moment of peace or hope um, or silliness. They also wanted to shout out the people involved in the play. Um, there are 14 actors in the production, which is a lot for a play. Um, and they are absolutely like some of the best, not only artists I've met, but people, which is really exciting. They do all sorts of things. They, I mean, they, they play their roles, but they also dance in the show. There's a moment in which they sing. Um, some of them play instruments. Um, some of them do gymnastics. So it's been really, really cool to watch all the ways that they can use their their instrument to tell a story. Um, the rehearsal room also consists of myself, my amazing assistant director, Alondra Rios. Anna Margovic is our amazing stage manager. And then our assistant stage manager recently joined. Her name is Julie, and she is a wonderful, wonderful freshman who loves Shakespeare and is very good at it. Our rehearsal room team is all perfect. And then we have the production team, uh, which is more my territory, um, which includes all of the design team. So set designer, lighting designer, sound designer, um, and then choreographers. We're also in the cast, I forgot to add. Yeah, our choreographers are co-choreographing the show, but they're also in the cast, um, which is a very exciting opportunity for us. We have everything from marketing director uh, to we have an intimacy consultant to help our choreographers and our director uh, with moments of intimacy. Um, we have a joy chair who just helped plan us, uh, helped us plan a fun run of the show yesterday. We have dramaturgs. I have an assistant producer. Her name is Peggy. She is a first year. She is one of my favorite people on this campus. She's incredible. 
we have uh, a recently added position is our um, audience experience director. Um, and so she is helping us lead pre-show where we're gonna be like passing out food and mocktails. Um, so she'll be leading all of that, um, helping us get audience members into the world of uh, Miami before they go into the theater. Our production team is all of the like offstage people working together to make the show happen. Yeah, someone else I wanted to amplify was Kenny, our amazing yeah. makeup designer, who actually it's her first theater process, which has been really exciting because the way that she, you know, imagines her own role is like beyond how I have seen a makeup designer step in at Northwestern. She's having the, the actors use for flowers to kind of amplify the inner beauty that they have. She has a beautiful concept. I just haven't shouted out enough our sound designer because yeah, he's incredible. I don't think we got to shout out our costume designers enough. Clara <sighs> Scavon and Jasmine Ali Diaz, and they are geniuses. The cast will be wearing very colorful clothing. I feel like all of us in the rehearsal room and on the production team, oh my gosh, and our dramaturgs, Molly McCarthy and Dan Calderon, were amazing collaborators and helped me cut the script over the summer um, so that, you know, you wouldn't have to hear us drone on about Shakespeare for too long. Brendan Acosta composed two original songs for this production and they are beautiful. Everyone we're working with is really awesome. Our set designer is amazing, Ryan Nukin, and it looks really good. Um, we've been in build and things are just coming together. It's a really cool time. Students can find the NU production of Much Ado About Nothing this Friday, October 15th at 7 and 10 p.m. and Saturday, October 16th at 2 and 7 p.m. at Shanley Pavilion. The entrance is also free. The work that has happened in this show in and outside of the rehearsal room is so exciting and it really is a party. Everything from doing the wobble on stage to... <laughs> uh, you know, we have we start off our show with a song by Mitski. And this this opportunity is really a chance to have fun and heal from the world we've been living in and find a new centering uh, uh, experience for all of us. For WNUR News, this has been Sarah Cadora and Maria Camano. Coming up after the break, himbos. We'll be right back. Allison is perfect. I mean, she'd never tell you that. She's humble and perfect. She likes everyone. She even likes her untidy roommate's weird guinea pig. Allison, wait, are you texting and driving? Allison, no, that's the exact opposite of what I was just saying about you. Why, Allison, why? Texting and driving makes good people look bad. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Today, my new dad and I shot off a rocket in the park. Today, my new son and I failed to shoot off a rocket. The rocket launched into the air. And then crashed into the pond. I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget that day, even if I tried. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of kids in foster care will take you just as you are. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to the WNUR News. It's 6.16 p.m. Central Time. I'm Zach McCurry. 
Himbo is a word that has been cropping up in online discourse more and more. But what does it mean to be a himbo? Alison Rauch tells us in tonight's Oddity Story. Heart big, head empty himbos. They've been the subject of many a meme or tweet in recent years. Something about them, the hot, dumb, kind men of the world, is strangely captivating. But where did the himbo come from, and more importantly, what does he have to offer us today? To begin, a definition. Reputable online source Urban Dictionary cites the term as, quote, he's a little slow, but he's trying his best. Big, beefy, almost always has a nice and drinks respect women juice. Most of the time, the only thing playing in his brain is elevator music, end quote. Merriam-Webster, yes, actually, defines it as, quote, an attractive but vacuous man, end quote. The term was coined in 1988 by Rita Kempley, a movie critic for the Washington Post. A dudification of the word bimbo, himbo served as a name for the archetype of the brawny, somewhat slow action hero. Think Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester Stallone. But himbo has made a resurgence in recent years thanks to social media. Podcasters Evan Shin and Emilio Casada discussed this in an episode of their show, Dewey Dudes. But the term has come up again. It has. It's, it's uh, having a resurgence. Due to a viral tweet. Oh, right. And this is the, I'm going to read the tweet to you. Okay. All right. So it said, <clears throat> quote, himbo is ableist. I find fetishizing someone's supposed lack of intelligence to be predatory. Why would you desire someone who seemingly has less power than you? Why is that sexy? Why is that different from preying on underage kids? It's not. End quote. So that was the tweet. Mm-hmm. Um, and it got a lot of backlash. Uh, which, and I'll, I'll read some of the backlash. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for example, here's somebody who replied to this tweet. They go, you're not attracted to the himbo because the himbo is dumb. You're attracted to the himbo because the himbo is hot. It also lacks the traits that are correlated in popular media with the smart character. Decades of building up the hyper genius led to himbo as backlash there's this good mel magazine quote it says oh yeah mel magazine shout out of course nobody has seriously suggested that himbos are cognitively disabled references to their humble brain power are exaggerated and affectionate not clinical with this new internet age take in mind i wanted to see what college kids thought my interviewees each defined himbo in their own words and then discussed what they thought about the term like shin and kisada all of my interviewees touched on the dumb aspect of himbo culture. There's definitely a culture nowadays, I think, around the himbo. I don't know what it is. I mean, all of those things seem somewhat positive, minus the unintelligent part. But I think the lack of intelligence uh, shows a certain, like, defenselessness. That's Jacob Millendorf, a sophomore in the School of Calm. Prior to our interview, he was only loosely aware of the term himbo, but he was more than willing to ruminate on the matter. And I think one element of the himbo is not being smart kind of poses an openness, right? Like if you engage in conversation with them uh, in some sort of debate, you'll be able to defeat them pretty swiftly and effortlessly. And I think that's... um, I think people like that. Millendorf's point about openness is interesting and ties back to the tweet Shin and Quesada read. The archetype of the himbo is a reaction to the archetype of the know-it-all male manipulator. 
Think Jesse Eisenberg in The Social Network, or really almost anyone in The Social Network. For the record, she may look like a 34C, but she's getting all kinds of help from our friends at Victoria's Secret. Perhaps it's not a true lack of intelligence, then, that characterizes the himbo, but rather a vulnerability, an approachability. I don't know. I think there's been kind of a rise in appreciation of himbos. Um, like, what people want, like, safe, safe men. Um, and, you know, kind, dumb ones are pretty safe in general. That's Nazizwe Msipa, School of Com sophomore and himbo appreciator. Her point here seems to coincide with Millendorf's, that dumbness can be safe. I think what makes a himbo that's very safe is like you feel safe, safe with them. You know, they're just silly little gooses who want to live. They're silly gooses who want to like live and do silly stuff. I found like the internet age is we're really accepting like just being dumb and vibing. Just like normalizing, it's not knowing nothing and dying. I think they were normalizing that, which I don't mind. So I think um, for now, himbo is okay. So it seems, as some on the internet claim too, that the himbo is not actually dumb. In an article from Jezebel, Julianne Escobedo Shepard writes that, quote, In practice, the himbo is not even necessarily unintelligent. A himbo just does not feel the desire to flex his intellect over his desire to, say, fix a car, end quote. Dumbness, then, serves more as a catch-all term for this disengagement from the cerebral, egomaniac world of the male manipulator. And with this disengagement, it seems, comes a sense of liberation. Medill sophomore Jimmy He, known to his friends as Jimbo the Himbo, commented on this in our interview. I think that Chad's usually, when I think of them, I usually think of wanting to impress and leave an impression on other people. But I feel like himbos have really nothing to prove. Like, that's why a lot of them aren't self-defining. If there's an individual who doesn't need to prove anything, that's, that's hot. You know, if they can just live free. This freeness has a name. Dudes rock or dudes rock energy. Shin and Quesada also define this in their podcast. So if anyone wants to know what dudes rock is. Uh, all right. So Matt Chrisman, I don't know if you guys know who this is, but he describes it as a dialectical non-toxic masculinity that launders the toxins out of masculinity by just letting dudes be dudes and not let anything get under their skin. You know what I mean? Yeah. Most of my interviewees were unfamiliar with the term dudes rock, but provided with the definition, they all easily identified dudes rock behavior. Dudes rock, <laughs> dudes rock is just, you know, saying whatever you want as long as it doesn't hurt anybody or make anybody feel uncomfortable. And uh, I, I, I would love to do more of that. And I think I've been trying to. So I think in the coming months, I'm going to dudes rock it up. It's also kind of the bare minimum also. Like dudes rock, is, dudes rock is like, I'm celebrating men who are not, who are just like living, loving, laughing, right? But, and who are not like abusing, <laughs> you know, or being like a generally bad person. Msipa makes an interesting point here. Dude's rock behavior is kind of the bare minimum for men, at least in regard to not being toxic. In other words, men don't deserve a medal for respecting women. This should be a given. But the other aspect of dude's rock, about dudes being free to be dudes, is fascinating, at least to me. It provides a way to be a man that is not controlled by patriarchal standards of masculinity. I feel like they're willing to accept, you know, that being a guy isn't just all about masculinity and they're able to embrace more feminine you know parts while still being you know 
athletic, working out, jacked, and still being attractive. And this dude's rock thing seems like a nice kind of in between where you can have male confidence without um, without being a piece of crap. So then, as a purveyor of dude's rock energy, perhaps the himbo holds the key to masculinity that's free from the strict expectations of the patriarchy. Or maybe that's a little presumptuous. Either way, himbo or not, dude's rock energy seems to be the way of the future. And while it's important to keep men accountable... Also, we can't use himbo to glorify anyone. You can't be like, oh, but he's just a himbo, he doesn't really know, like... No, you know, we still have to hold people to the same standards. Perhaps the himbo is a way to let dudes be dudes, in their truest and most non-toxic sense. For WNUR News, I'm Allison Rauch. And after the break, a weather update to round out your work week. We'll be right back. I'm in almost every school bus and classroom. You see me around the neighborhood, and you tell me that I'm a pretty good kid. Well, I'm one out of every five children in America, and I'm struggling with hunger. Please visit feedingamerica.org today and find your local food bank for ways to help. Every dollar you donate helps provide eight meals for kids like me. We are Feeding America, brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Three tours driving Humvees in Afghanistan. Twelve years flying choppers. When my sister came back from her last tour in Afghanistan, she didn't want to talk about it, but she knew I was there to listen. Sometimes my husband still has difficult memories. They can be overwhelming. With the Veterans Crisis Line, I know where to turn when we need support. I made the call and got support for my sister. The Veterans Crisis Line is here for all veterans and their loved ones. Call 1-800-273-8255 and press... Welcome back to WNUR News. It's 6.26 p.m. Central Time. I'm Zach McCrary. And taking a look at the weather for tonight, the rain is done for the afternoon, but it's coming back tonight with a 40% chance of rain. Remember your umbrella, stay warm and dry out there. There's a high of 70 degrees tomorrow with a 50% chance of rain. And on Friday, it'll be a bit colder with a high of 63 degrees and a 60% chance of rain. That's all for WNUR News at 6. For more news updates and reports, follow us on Twitter at WNUR News. You can listen to these and other stories of the day on our Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. You can also find us on our brand new website, WNUR.news. Again, that's WNUR.news. Our producer today is Alex Harrison, and our reporters are Jennifer Kim, Maria Camaño, Sarah Cadora, and Allison Ralph. Special thanks to Pass Bomb. For all of us here at WNUR News, I'm Zach McCrary. Thank you so much for joining us. Join us next time on Friday, October 15th at 6 p.m. Now back to scheduled programming.